Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, everyone. This is Hugh Ballou, founder and president of the Nonprofit Exchange. Center Vision Leadership Foundation is the organization and the Nonprofit Exchange is our podcast, our show that's weekly interviews with leaders, helping you ideas for a fresh start for a new pathway forward. Certainly coming out of the last two years that have been a challenge. We have challenges ahead and equipping yourself for success. Today's guest is like none we've ever had before. Now you've heard that, but it's true. It's true. So uh, Robert Altheus is in Miami um, and he's right. in by Zoom today. So Robert, tell us a little bit about yourself and what is your passion for this work you did? All right, beautiful. I'll thank you for that uh, introduction. I appreciate being on your podcast. Um, so, um, you know, my, my, my background really is business. I, uh, I was in business for 25 years. I, I was a senior executive at GE. G Capital, and then I went into business for myself for about 10 years, um, uh, made a lot of money, had a lot of success, uh, all the beautiful things that come with, uh, with that. And, um, but I, I experienced kind of a, a letdown, so to speak. I, uh, you know, I kind of reached that proverbial peak in life, and I had this moment where I was like, is this the all there is? Um, you know, I had everything. I had, you know, the house, the wife, the kids, the toys, the all the shiny objects and all the money you could uh, you could wish for, and and I was really just a little bit lost. I was like, um, there's got to be more to life than this, and that kind of precipitated, you know, what I call my inner journey. And um, you know, later on, I got uh, presented with a couple of um, disasters in life. I had a business that got wiped out by a hurricane, and you know, that triggered a cascade of things which um, made me kind of fall from grace which eventually led to writing my book, Never Enough Itis. And uh, it was this profound inner journey that I was guided on by the universe that revealed a lot of different things that I didn't really have eyes for when I was on the fast bullet train to success and when things are going really well for me. So my passion these days is uh, sharing this with other people, sharing that there is a deep sanctity to all life, that there is beautiful wisdom that we uh, rarely have eyes for, and that there is profound wisdom and all kinds of teachings that we can avail ourselves to, uh, to really just um, expand on our own life and show up in a different way and be truly the leaders that we, we, we have the potential to be rather than the ones that are just pursuing uh, as many marbles as they can accumulate in life. And, uh, and so that's, that's what I work on predominantly these days. Well, that's a major breakthrough in my, in my eye. Yeah. You know, I'm 75, uh, almost halfway to 76. And, you know, for me to take on something, it's got to be meaningful to myself and to other people. So you've been on a journey and it culminated in this book. You got a copy of the book handy? Yeah, I do actually. Uh, I, I hope it will show up. Never enough eyes, my face. I'm a little bit, well, a little bit more beard these days, but uh, <laughs> that's the clean cut version of Robert. Tell us, tell us what the book's about. What was the journey? Yeah, so so in 2017, I, I uh, was this this 
sea change year in my life. My father passed away early in the year, and then I uh, decided to, uh, with my ex-wife, we decided to get divorced, which obviously is a monumental change in your life, your personal life. And then a week later, I had this hurricane that wiped out one of my businesses, which incidentally, I had a personal guarantee on, which is the only personal guarantee that I've ever signed that's unlimited. And so that pushed me on the edge of bankruptcy. It basically triggered the insurance wouldn't pay out. We couldn't get permits to rebuild. You know, now I had all kinds of things cascading. And, you know, this this beautiful life and this man that had been so firmly in control of his life, and so he fought, saw things just dissipate. And um, eventually I just realized that I wasn't going to get out of this myself and I needed some help. And that was really the first step. Uh, monumental step for me to admit that, you know, this this kind of tough alpha guy that had been the ruler of the world, so to speak, um, you know, he, he was just um, an ordinary man in deep trouble on multiple levels and uh, financially, emotionally, uh, you know, really spiritually bankrupt, if you want to call it that way. And so I went into therapy and my therapist told me to journal. Uh, that's how this book started. Uh, she, she, she told me to express my feelings to paper. And, and, and so I was writing about my divorce. I was writing about this relationship and how what had culminated over the last uh, 10 years or so. So the book picks up uh, right around when I get out of business school, uh, which was uh, when I was 31 years old. And, uh, and then it has this, you know, this, this journey of this fairy tale life um, with uh, beautiful romance and weddings on the beach and you know, incredible business success and um, a career that, that goes like a rocket ship at GE. And, and then I, I really got presented with real life. Uh, when I went into business for myself, I was swimming with the sharks and I became a shark. Mm. Uh, I was working with the big guys in the world, the big pension funds and private equity guys and venture capital. And, you know, to be a player in that world, um, you, you, you got to basically put on some armor. And uh, and I saw I started seeing some of the underbelly of big business, some of the stuff that really happens behind the veil, so to speak, the stuff we don't really see on the front paper, uh, paper page of the paper. Uh, and I was part of it. I was a cog in that wheel, a really well paid one. Um, but I was still participating in that. And over time, it kind of bankrupted my soul. So, um, you know, when I came out of that, I was really wondering, like, you know, there's got to be more to life. And uh, the third part of my book is really where I'm at this place where I'm finding, um, you know, I go on this inner journey. I call it the hero's journey. We go from the ordinary world into the spiritual world. And we go we to really discover who we are as a, as a person, as a soul. You know, what am I here to do? What's my mission? What's my purpose? What do I really care about? And as I went on that journey, I did it like anything else. I went 100 miles an hour, you know, head first. I wanted to figure this out. I wanted to figure out this this whole spirituality thing. And so I went on, uh, I read hundreds of books. I went on courses, retreats. I just went after it. And slowly but surely, I started having this framework, a different level of understanding, a different dimension that opened up to me that puts life just in a completely different perspective. And um you know, once that, once you see, you cannot unsee. And so uh, it caused and, and triggered profound changes in how I show up in life, how I see life, how I see others, uh, how we interact with others. And, um, you know, that's really what I bring into the world now through my consulting and my coaching practice for other CEOs and entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, whoever feels like it's time for them to, uh, to level up. 
So we're talking to people that, um, of course, don't have that uh, infinite wealth in the mostly in the nonprofit and the, the, the nonprofit right. leaders and clergy. We're we're leading a cause-based organization, a rather right. than for-profit, it's a for-purpose. But you know, there's some of the same challenges. We're always on a treadmill trying to get enough um, because we're not really an expert at, at attracting revenue. We may not be an expert in marketing and we're not an expert in leadership, but we have right. a service that the world really needs. And you know, right. it's it was hard before the pandemic and now it's still hard in a different way. So what's the inspiration that you bring to the world for this sector of people working really hard but are really challenged? Right. Well, if, if I can start off by saying that people don't buy statistics, people buy stories. Uh, people invest in stories. And so I always tell people, whether you're a business, a nonprofit, or you're a PTA house mom trying to raise some money for a kid's event. Um, if you want to galvanize support of any kind, you have to learn to become a good storyteller because this is how through the ages, humanity has transferred really information. And when you tell a story, you can draw people in emotionally and connect them with something. And so people don't, you know, it's good to have supporting facts and, and all the beautiful things that your organization does. But if you could translate what your organization does in a story that makes it human, that makes it real, that touches someone, um, you know, wallets open quite rapidly. Um, and this is the same in business, same in nonprofit, same in government, same in anything. So you have, I can tell you have the power of influence. And so what in, in my journey of doing, I do, likewise, I do leadership coaching and um, organizational development and strategy in my world as a conductor everything goes from that piece of music everything springs from the strategy what is your plan and how are you going to get there so everybody's on board with you but I find Robert when I work with entrepreneurs running small businesses I run I work with um, nonprofit leaders or clergy running a, a for-purpose organization and I work with multinational corporate leaders I find the same gaps in understanding and skills uh, amongst all of those. So there's there's a genuine um, need for raising the bar on our own performance. Do you see something similar? Yeah, I do. And, and, and I say that this is, uh, you know, most of humanity, if I may be honest, is lost in the cobwebs of their minds. Um, and mostly a rational mind our logical mind. And we have all these perceptions of reality. We have all these ideas that's enculturation. Um, and, you know, we live very much in that logical uh, part of the neocortex, but we are humans. We are each a person, right? And so when I present you with a whole bunch of statistics, you're going to raise your shoulder, maybe be impressed, maybe not, but I'm not really touching you. Now, if I translate these statistics into a human life in some situation that I can emotionally connect with. Now I'm talking to your heart. I'm not talking to your mind anymore. And this is the same thing that if I ask you a question in communication and I ask you, hey, you, what do you think? You are automatically pointing your awareness to your mind for the answer. 
Now, when I use the word you, what do you feel? You're going to automatically look for the answer in your heart. And there's an enormous amount of power when we can start commanding language. Because language is really, um, you know, what guides us. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's the words and it's, it, it's the words we use point us to where we want to go. And so if we're leaders or we're money raisers or in any way, um, you know, try to be of any positive influence on someone else, it's all in the words and the energy you use. And where do you guide them? Because, you know, if you want to sell something, you are taking someone on a journey. And so if you're very clear on what that journey looks like, and you can weave that into a story that someone can connect with, now you have their attention in a totally different way than appealing to their neocortex, to their logical mind. So let me point out to people listening that are nonprofit leaders and clergy, and you say, oh, we don't sell. I'm going to tune out now. Wait a minute. You're asking for people to be board members. You're asking for people to be volunteers. You're asking for people to donate. You're selling something. And until they buy, you know, they're going to say, oh, good work, good luck. And they're going to say goodbye. So, so Robert, you, you compressed a lot of stuff in your story when I, I said, tell me about the book. Well, uh, so some of the elements of telling the story, let's, and let's connect this to what you just put on the table of the heart intelligence. So, so this, this kid goes to his uh, dad and asks a question. And the dad said, why don't you ask your mother? And the kid says, well, I don't want to know that much about it. So there's, there's a, an ideal length for a story. And it, of course, it's going to vary with the situation and what we're talking about. But you know, most of us are so passionate about what we're doing, we tend to overdo it. And then people tune us out. So give us, how do you shape a story? How long is it? Are there some important elements? And then when do you stop and just leave silence? So then the next move is theirs. Tell us some of the, right. some of the. No, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question. Well, storytelling is quite easy. Uh, everything has three parts. It has a beginning, a middle and an end, right? So first of all, we break our story down. Okay, what's my beginning? Well, the beginning has, has to have a hook. Just like when you watch a movie or you watch, you know, any TV show on, on TV, any soap opera, even if it's just a 25 minute episode, right? There's first is a hook. So you have a setup, a hook, what draws them into the story, which can be, you know, when you speak on stage, you know, what's your hook? What draws you in? It's usually a little bit of an off key statement where people are like, huh, what? You know, and that draws you in. Um, it sets the stage. That's the first part right? You paint a picture. Now, the middle of the story is usually where the meat comes out, right? And you kind of guide someone along a path that you want them to walk, that you want them to experience, that, want, that, that you want them to internalize. And then the third part is really where you kind of tied a knot around the whole thing. You kind of conclude it. Now, all of this you could do in three minutes. I mean, depending on obviously the story, but I'll give you a good example. Um, there's this beautiful charity called Water. It's literally charity water, right? And, um, you know, when you, this, this founder, I forget his name now, is really gifted at storytelling because he doesn't tell you, I mean, he tells you somewhere on the, uh, afterwards about how many water pumps he's installed in Africa and how many villages, how many gallons of water and all these beautiful statistics, which are really, really meaningful. But what he tells you, he tells you about this, this woman, right? That had to walk like, Two, uh, two and a half hours every morning 
And because she had to walk two and a half hours, her kids had to stay home and couldn't go to school. And because their kids couldn't go to school, they couldn't read or write. So they have no way to advance themselves. And then he takes, and then he says, you know, and she carries this water on her head. And it's like almost, you know, 20, 30 pounds of water. And then he says, like, you know, have you, have you ever lifted your suitcase at the airport? Imagine putting that on your head and walking with that for two and a half hours. Now, there's also robbers and people that are, you know, have ill intent that might steal her water. So it's dangerous, right? So he takes you through this whole story. And then when he brings it home, he says, you know, when we, when we built the well, now she has ready access to water. There's no more disease. There's no more uh, diarrhea, no more of those things. Her kids are now going to school. Her kids now have a chance to basically advance in life. And, and you know, so when he paints that story, like, how likely are you to say, like, wow, I can't believe it. And he says at the end, he says, you know, one of these wells is, is only like, I think it was like three, four thousand dollars. So, you know, if, if you contribute a hundred dollars, right, I only need 40 other people. And we, we can change the life for up to 100 women, 100 of these stories. Now, that's a very different story than telling someone, you know, I need $400,000 so I can build 100 wells and eventually I'll have so many women that I help. I mean, that's, that's much harder to connect with, right? Because now I was in that woman's life. I was her for a moment. And that's what I mean when we can translate what we do into stories it becomes a totally different conversation. That means as leaders, we need to be in touch with our own emotions, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, if there's anything that humanity is, uh, you know, I'm writing a new book and actually right now I'm writing uh, the chapter, which is an element of the feminine energy, which is reference. And we live in a world of irreference. We are so disconnected as a whole to our heart that we accept that there's almost a billion people in abject poverty and starvation and famine. We cheer when we see wars being fought. And, you know, we think it's great when there's a winning party, not realizing that there's immense amount of destruction and death that comes with every war. We see this in Europe right now, but it's in Yemen, it's in Israel, it's in all over the place. Um, and we're so disconnected from all of that because we don't feel. You know, when we look at what's happening to Mother Earth, I mean, we're, we're in some scientists will tell you that we're only 20 years away from a cataclysmic event, but we're so disconnected from it, right? We, we don't allow ourselves to feel. We just rationalize and justify. Um, and you know, feeling is really where we're going to start changing, seeing real change in the world, because there's so much that happens today, even in our society, the division, the political the, uh, chisms, the incredible, um, you know, fighting and, and opposition and um, the chisms, the deep chisms, the inequalities, the injustices. Well, it's not going to change until we all start really feeling. Until we can open up to another person right, even when they have a different opinion, and ask them, say, help me understand your position. Help me understand what life looks like when you walk a mile in your shoes. That would require that we listen, wouldn't it? We have to. As a musical conductor, I, um, I rate listening as high on the uh, scale of leadership 
skills and high on the list of underutilized listening skills. So there's, um, you come to an end of what you say and you pause, that's brilliant. So this, um, this intelligence of the heart, how do we get our head around it? Where do we start? And then how do we even, yeah. we, we so can- the, and, and it's, it's, you know, the intelligence of the heart. So we have the intelligence of the mind, which is really a logical mind. And the intelligence of our heart is really connected to this universal intelligence because there's intelligence pervasive of life, regardless of your religious beliefs, it doesn't matter because all energy is information. We know this even on a physical, you know, on a physics level, on an energetic level, um, energy physics, we know that only all, everything is energy and energy is information. Now we all have had experiences like a precognition, right? So where did this come from? Well, something comes to us, right? And we just know intuition is a similar one. Now, the problem with the intelligence of our heart, where our mind is very loud and very pervasive and just constantly producing thought, 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 we have to quieten our mind because the language of the heart is feeling, sensing, direct knowing, and intuiting. Now, these are subtle messages, and we all have access to this. We all have a, 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 a heart that has this intelligence. But we're very tuned, again, in culturation, you know, with our logical mind. And we oftentimes don't listen. The universe talks to us all day long. Now, when I say the universe, you can easily replace that with God, creator, spirit. It doesn't matter. I keep it kind of neutral because I don't want to um, go across any religions. Um, so when I say the universe, you know, the infinite intelligence, whatever word you want to use, um, it speaks to us all day long. It speaks to us in little cues, in little coincidences, in little serendipities, in little things. We read something in an article, we hear a song with a word in it. Now, when we're able to be quiet and still in our mind, right? And we can allow ourselves to feel and sense and direct know. Direct knowing means there was no logical process to come to the conclusion. We just know. And then intuiting. Now, everybody uses this all the time, right? We go into a room and we immediately have a sense of the energy in that room. Immediately. We speak with a person and we have immediately a sense whether we're communicating or there's a, a let's say, bad energy, right? A disconnect. We even notice it with our loved one, right? When we are in a fight with our loved one, we're not communicating, we're, there's a distance, right? We have to somehow cross that distance first before we can actually communicate and listen to each other and open up to each other. Now, this feeling, sensing, direct knowing, intuiting is something that's part of the feminine energy and it's been relegated as, as insignificant in our kind of Western oriented mental world. We, we dismiss it, yet there's an enormous, there's a wealth of intelligence there that we have access to. And when we become masters in the language of this hard intelligence, we can avail ourselves in our leadership at a completely different level. And really the, the, the heart should be the master and the mind should be the servant to the master. The mind is a beautiful instrument, but it's a, it's a tyrannical leader. The master is, a, is a, has 
innate wisdom in it. And then we can use our instrument called the mind to support and, um, and, and guide us through those things where the logical mind is a beautiful instrument. Wow. So um, start there. Think about the end game. Be in touch with the feminine. Um, you know, we've been in, I grew up in such a male dominant we don't cry, we don't feel uh, right. culture. It's, um, it's not helpful to do that all the time. It's helpful to do exactly what you said, open up a whole new avenue. So yeah, and, and let me let me call it at you because a lot of times it's misunderstood when I speak about this. Yeah. So I'm not talking about male or female or whatever gender you identify with. I'm not talking about any of those things. We have there's masculine energy and feminine energy. Yeah. And these have distinct qualities. Now, when you think in terms of source consciousness or God, if you wish, God is whole. It's the completion of both. If it, it, it's in total integrity. Mm -hmm. Now, the wholeness within us is within integrating these energies within us. Every man, every woman has access to feminine and masculine energy. Now, men, males, tend to be more masculine dominant in their energy, but they definitely all have feminine energy and access to these qualities and this intelligence. Now, women also, they're typically more feminine energy dominant, but they have full access to this masculine energy within. And you can be any identification in between. I really don't care. It makes no difference. It makes no difference what your orientation is or any of those things. We all have masculine and feminine energies because they're qualities. There's intelligences of life that are within us. And as human beings, when we can integrate these two qualities within ourselves, these two intelligences, then we become really balanced. Now we have access to all the beautiful things that the masculine has to offer. And we have access to all the beautiful, profound wisdom and qualities that the feminine has to offer. Now, in our kind of Western society with the onset of the religion of science, um, you know, which started around the Renaissance, you know, we went completely kind of mental dominant, mind dominant. The mind is the, is the citadel of the masculine. The heart is the fortress of the feminine. So we kind of abandoned, you know, all these beautiful wisdoms and teachings and qualities. So we became really lopsided. And you see this everywhere in, in, in society. You see this, you know, in the huge chisms that we have. And I think it's the pendulum swinging too far over now. We're really, you know, we're kind of missing that beautiful balancing point um, where if we can all cultivate and avail ourselves and integrate these beautiful energies um, that we all have within ourselves, we become more complete human beings. We become more whole. We have access to different ranges and dimensions of intelligence that we wouldn't have if we're dominant on one side or the other. So that's really what I'm talking about when I uh, talk about masculine and feminine. It's not a gender. It's not a biological gender discussion. So we've got a, a question from uh, one of the viewers, uh, listeners. What are some of the common obstacles we must overcome? Yeah, yeah, beautiful. I, I appreciate that question. I think it's Johnny, right? Jo Johnny Reagan? Yeah. Um, Listen, the hero's journey is also universe's wisdom. Like the way we learn, um, we have typically some form of crisis, catastrophe, calamity show up in our life. Now that can take any form, but usually something falls apart. Now that can be our marriage, that can be our career, 
That can be our balance sheet. That can be a loved one passing. That can be a kid that gets addicted to opioids. It, it doesn't really, it can be an illness, can be cancer or something else. Now, whenever something like that shows up in our life, right? We are, from an energetic perspective, we're in dissonance. Now, coherence is really where we want to be. Coherence in a biological terms is homeostasis, it's health. So when there's a dissonance in this energy, the universe, so to speak, nudges us off our path, but that's really not the way to look at it. It actually is nudging us on our path. Now, I call this the universe sometimes gives its greatest gifts wrapped in sandpaper. Sometimes we go through hard stuff so we find another depth within ourselves. Nothing is ever by coincidence. Uh, no matter if we believe it is or not, everything is there for a purpose. And so we are usually invited to go on this hero's journey by something falling apart in our life. Now, the obstacles that we come across are usually our deepest wounds, our deepest shadows, our, our biggest dragons. So, you know, our limited beliefs are probably being um, faced. Our, um, the, the perceptions we have of reality that are really just perceptions, but not realities. But our perceptions become our reality. And yeah. so, um, you know, we, have, we, we all have some wounds from childhood. Um, no matter how beautiful your childhood was, this is just how it works. Um, and, you know, when, we, when we're faced with these wounds um, and we don't address them, we, we are reactive to these wounds. So something shows up in our life and we're triggered. But we have no idea what triggers us. We just get triggered. We're reactive. Now, when we address this wound and we heal it and we see it for what it is, now we become responsible. We have the ability to respond. We don't get triggered by the same thing. And so it doesn't have to show up in our life. We can change it now. We're now aware of it. So Robert, how do you pronounce your last name? Althaus. It's A-L-T-H-U-I-S. Althaus? Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. It means old house in Dutch. So, it does, uh, or, or, yeah. or Deutsch German. Um, so when uh, people go spelling your name, R-O-B-E-R-T, uh, A-L-T-H-U-I-S dot com, they get your website. So what will yeah. people find when they get there? Why should they well, go? Well, the, 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 the homepage has a description. I, I call it the awakening process, the hero's journey. Um, you know, we... we at various times in our life, we might have something really challenging that shows up. And like I say, that's usually a gift, um, but it's the universe inviting us to go to the next level, to develop, to go deeper, uh, to cultivate some, some next level within us that's available to us. And um, that can even be an old trauma that has been a trauma for, for decades that is now revealing itself as being ready to be healed, to be overcome. And so, you know, that's what I describe on, um, on the first page. And there's a variety of symptoms that we can look for that usually indicate that we're at that place in life. Now, my book, uh, there's a page there. Um, there's a sample of my audio book, which was just released. Uh, there's a first chapter sample as well. You can go on Amazon and buy the book. Um, so that's, uh, that's available as well. And, um, you know, there's more information you can find on the other pages. There's a manifesto. Um, there's uh, work with me where I describe some of the work that I do. Um, all of those things.
Right. Well, and in, in your narrative, you just did, you talked about why people need you. You know, we all have blind spots and if we don't have an advisor to help us discover what's missing and help us open up to the possibilities, we limit our success. So Robert, um, Alhouse, thank you for being, he's, he's fresh off a plane yesterday from Costa Rica. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and will you allow me to say one more thing? Because this, yes, this is, um, this is probably, I, I say this to every client, every speaking engagement I do. You know, worship the teachings, but never the teacher. Every true teacher knows he's still a student and every true student knows she's already the teacher. We are all our own healers, our own sages, our own gurus, our own mystics. The only thing any other person can do for you from time to time is show you another path that you haven't seen yet. All I can do for someone is illuminate a path based on my experience and say, you know what? I was in this place in my life and I found these things and this might be a path you would like to walk on. But I, I always tell people, do, you know, don't ever abdicate your power. Because the power is within you. You are your own healer. You're your own guru, your own mystic. Anything I can teach you is something that you are actually remembering. And so whichever healer, teacher, coach you seek, go in with the knowledge and the knowing that you have all the answers within you. And what this person might be able to do is speed up the process of remembering, right? I, I always want to tell people, you are so powerful. There's nothing in the world that can stop you. Wise words indeed, Robert. Thank you so much for being our guest and sharing your wisdom on the nonprofit exchange today. Beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, you. It was a great pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>